My name is Patrick Nugent. On June 23, 2019, I started walking with Jesus. Come hear my story and the story of so many others whose lives have been changed by their walks with Him. Come walk with us. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Season 2 of Walking with Jesus. Since I'm a movie geek, I thought we could give Season 2 a subtitle, like some of my favorite movie sequels. Walking with Jesus, Part 2, Walking with Jesus, Cruise Control. Walking with Jesus, The Empire Strikes Back. Walking with Jesus, The Two Towers. Walking with Jesus, Die Harder. Walking with Jesus, Electric Boogaloo. Walking with Jesus, Catching Fire. Okay, maybe a subtitle isn't the best idea. I'm so thankful that you've chosen to spend a part of your day with us today. This episode, I got the chance to sit down with Chris Russell from Destiny Rescue. They are an organization that is working to disrupt human trafficking all across the world. Yeah, so the NFL is by far our most profitable sport. It makes a profit of about $8 billion a year. Baseball, basketball, hockey, football combined make about $30 billion a year. Human trafficking makes over $150 billion a year. This summer, there was a movie released called Sound of Freedom. It's a harrowing story of a U.S. agent rescuing a brother and sister from a trafficking situation overseas. I'm glad to see awareness of this massive issue being brought into light. Destiny Rescue is working each and every day to make a difference, specifically in the lives of underage girls who are being used in sex trafficking. And if that girl takes one step across the border into this other country, she will never be seen again. I do need to issue a content warning. This episode may be triggering for people who have been the victim of sexual abuse, and it may not be appropriate for young ears. That being said, I really hope you will take away as much as I did from my conversation with Chris, and you will hear how Jesus is showing up in 2023. But what you're going to find is the more you walk with Jesus, the more you find out about him, he shows up. Thanks for walking with us. I'm sitting here today with the formidable Chris Russell of Destiny Rescue, who I have had the wonderful opportunity to hear speak at church a couple of times, uh, do a couple of fundraisers to to raise money for Destiny Rescue. Uh, and so I just was so honored when he said yes to come in and sit down and uh, and be interviewed to be a part of this show. And so, Chris, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself and, and kind of how you got into to serving in the way that you serve. Yeah, okay. Well, hey, everybody. Uh, my name is Chris Russell. I have the privilege of serving as the Director of Engagement for Destiny Rescue. We're an international Christian organization. Our primary focus is rescuing underage girls out of sex trafficking all around the world. So uh, I've actually hmm. been a pastor for 23 years <laughs> and brought Destiny Rescue into the church that I was leading back in 2015. <laughs> And it was a game changer for us. Like I just never seen anything fire up my church family as much as that. And then to realize that there were tangible things that we could do to respond to it. Yeah. It just took off and the opportunity presented itself in 2019 for me to come on staff full time. Wow. You met you're a pastor for 23 years. What was your faith like? Did you grow up in faith? I, I grew up around the church. Okay. <laughs> uh, it was, I, I was in a family that was very much a put on your best face for a couple hours on Sunday morning. And then we go back to the real world the rest of the week. <laughs> okay. So it wasn't a, it was a faith that was heard about on Sundays, but not lived out Monday through Saturday. Mm. I hear <laughs> so grew, grew up, it was around the youth group. I mean, I, I was in the environment 
but it didn't take root until I got to college. Okay. Was there something specific that happened in college? Yeah, yeah. yeah this is a little embarrassing to tell. Uh, so I uh, avid volleyball player. And, okay. In Pennsylvania, guys, volleyball is huge. Like at the high school I went to, you'd have like 2,000 people at a high school volleyball match. Uh, just a huge thing. So I played in college. Well, I had a little bit of a mouth on me. And uh, <laughs> I got involved with gospel team, which was a singing group in college. Love singing. And uh, I had a couple of my buddies that came to one of my volleyball matches. And uh, it was not a good game for us. And uh, I expressed that uh, verbally a few times, apparently, during the game. Okay. And they actually, out of love, pulled me aside afterwards and said, hey, we, let's let's talk about this. Like, you're, you're professing one thing, but the example that you're living out is something very different. And mm. I received it because I knew it came from a place. I knew these guys loved me. Yeah. And they yeah. weren't claiming to be perfect themselves, to have it all together, but sure. they they loved me enough to say, hey, like, you, you want to be genuine to what you say you believe and live it out. So make a choice. That's incredible. And, and that's what I did. And I actually, for as much as I loved volleyball, I pulled myself off the team for the next year until mm. I got that area of my life under control. Wow. And then you went back into it? I did. Okay. Yeah. And after that, it, you know, you were a, a changed man, so to speak, where, you know, it, did, the, did the other players on the team, did they notice that were they were they vocal about what they saw or what they heard, I should say? <laughs> or what they didn't hear, yeah. right? <laughs> what they were used to. So, yeah, yeah, it was really neat to see that, you know, people were seeing the effort that you were putting into yeah. that. Again, not because, you know, I'm doing anything to attain any kind of favor with God, but the more I the more I pursued him the more I desired to be like him, mm. then that, mm. that just kind of flows out of you yeah. to be different. Yeah. You know, it's not, you're not gaining anymore. I mean, he can't love you anymore on your worst day than he does on your best day, but it's a matter of, I want to give my best back to him. Yeah. So, um, wow. so there's just some areas I needed to work on. Sure. <laughs> so, sure. Wow. Thank you for sharing that. That's, I love part of the point of this podcast is when people that aren't believers or aren't people, you know, aren't people of faith or aren't practicing Christians. When they think about Jesus performing miracles, they think about 2000 years ago. They don't think about yesterday. They don't think about, you know, what's happened. You know, I always say he healed a drunk yesterday. Right. Well, and cause that, you know, that's my story is that I came through at the bottom of a bottle and, and all of a sudden oh, okay. there's Jesus going, yeah. Hey, you know, next time don't pick up a bottle, pick up a Bible. And, and here I am. You know, four years later, four years sober and and just similar to you going, I want to live this out. I'm not going to be perfect at it. I just want to do better today than I did yesterday. Right. And so that's really a neat story. Um, tell me how you crossed paths with Destiny Rescue that it that, you know, it was it became apparent to you that this was, you know, that this was going to be a, a big part of your call in faith. Yeah, so we actually, someone from Destiny Rescue stopped in to drop off some information way back in 2015. And, you know, we had already been involved with a ministry called Kids Alive, which is kind of like a world vision, compassion, just smaller scale. Mm -hmm. And I'd gone to the Dominican Republic back in 2012, been there 10 times. Uh, and that those trips early on were what God kind of used to open up my mind to see the world the way he saw it. Okay. So when Destiny Rescue came along in 2015, it was literally a five minute conversation before I was like, let's go. This, yeah. 
this is who we are. This is our DNA. This is God's heart. Let's go. Let's figure it out. Yeah. What if you had to summarize in that five minute conversation? Was there something that pulled you in that went, yeah, that's it. That's the thing. I mean, it. it... Well, I think, you know, anytime you're talking about something with children, it it's something we all get behind about keeping kids safe. And then when you add to it this whole dark level of kids who are being trafficked, mm-hmm. how do you how do you not do something? Yeah. You know, our, our founder, Tony, you know, when he first got introduced to this way back in the late 90s and when, when he was on vacation and overheard this trafficker talking to another tourist offering a young child for a couple hundred bucks, hmm. um, just the prayer was, God have mercy on these kids. Hmm. But... Over time, you know, if you've walked with Jesus for a while, you know how this works, that God doesn't let you off the hook. Yeah. And things began to stir inside of him. And that prayer changed from God have mercy on these kids to God have mercy on us if we don't do something to help these kids. Hmm. And for me, um, you know, James, about the faith without actions is is where it's at. And that's what I'd always push for years with our people of like knowledge. You know, scripture says knowledge puffs up, love builds up. And so learning stuff is great, but if that's the end point, that's a waste. Yeah. <laughs> like you're not making a difference hmm. in the world until you take the take the knowledge and then apply that to some form of action to become a part of the solution. Yeah. That's really beautiful. Every time I hear you speak, I'm consistently moved by your passion for what you do. It's not just that what you do is incredible and the way it serves the kingdom and the way it serves the Lord is incredible but the way that how passionate you are when you talk about it and when it's the same when when I watch Tony's videos online when I hear him talk about it I it's you can't help but be moved and I wonder if you aren't moved like what's wrong with your heart you know (laughs) maybe it's time to seek psychiatric help if you're if you're not moved by the fact that there are children all over the world suffering the next question I have is is about your faith, um, and then we'll we'll talk more about Destiny Rescue. And that's, what do you think the biggest myth about Jesus in our modern society is? Gosh, I, you know, if you look at just modern culture, they don't have a clue who Jesus is. Yeah, <laughs> they just <laughs> they just really don't. Like if if you put aside what you've been told what you've read about somewhere and you just dig into scripture and and I've done this before and I've encouraged people to do this, like start reading in the gospels, get a blank piece of paper, start reading through the gospels. And as you learn about Jesus, about his attributes, about his character, start writing all those things out on that blank piece of paper Hmm. to formulate your own opinion of it. And it's going to be drastically different than what culture is teaching you. That's Awesome. I love that. I, I've never heard you say that. And I'm, I want to do that now, even for myself now, because I remember coming to faith four years ago and finding out how drastically different my, what I thought, who I thought Jesus was to just the gospel of John and and reading through John's gospel and going, okay, yeah, no, this is, there's nothing like this. Like I never understood how revolutionary talking to the woman at the well was like in that time and in that culture, what, what that means. And so, so here's what I would say, Patrick. So one of the visuals that I've used in conversations with people before, especially you have a lot of people that are very intellect oriented Mm -hmm. 
And if they can't wrap their heads around it and they can't understand it, then they can't place their trust in it. And the visual I use is just imagine like a large circle. And, you know, you can't possibly confine or define everything that God is and what he knows. But for the sake of this illustration, let's just put it in a large circle. Okay. And then you put a tiny dot in the middle of that circle. And that tiny dot is a gross over-representation of what your brain is capable of comprehending. (laughs) And and when you think of it that way of going like, how, how can, how can this tiny dot possibly explain this giant circle? Yeah, it, it doesn't work that way. The giant circle explains the dot. And that's what we see in scripture is God. God defines who we are and what we're made for. God, God made us in his image. And unfortunately, we turn around and try to do the same thing in reverse. And we try to make him in our image. Oh. And if we can't understand him, then we can't place our trust in him. But your brain is not big enough to possibly comprehend who God is. So there has to be a place where you eventually, it is, it is a step of faith uh, initially to put that trust in. But this is what I found. So my, my grandpa, my grandpa was one of the most intellectual people I've ever met. He worked for Eastman Kodak, had a bunch of inventions for Kodak. And hmm. you could sit down and pick up any topic and he could talk intelligently about it. But he couldn't get to a place of trusting in Jesus because he couldn't understand Jesus. Hmm. He had too many questions. And my dad later in life, when he, gosh, I'm 52 and right about this time in in his life, uh, my dad just had this real conviction to be able to share his faith more with my grandpa, his dad. Mm -hmm. And of course, the driving factor was my dad couldn't stand the idea of spending eternity without his dad there as well. And so he was taking evangelism classes. He would call and talk to me about it. And then he started making the trip every other weekend for months and months. He would drive from Pittsburgh to mid-state New York to sit down with grandpa and share the gospel with him. Hmm. And then it happened at the age of 91, my grandpa put his faith in Jesus and he lived for five more years. And during that five years, he was a man of prayer seeking after God. He was a man of scripture, trying to learn as much as he could. Uh, I, I would say kind of one of those other faith feeders, prayer, word of God. Other one is what Hebrews calls that cloud of witnesses, you know, which we've had a lot of people in our history, which chapter 11 of Hebrews goes through all those people. But the reality is we have a cloud of witnesses around us now when we look at the examples of godly people in our lives now and how they live out this trust in God. And, and what's ironic is at the end of his life, this brilliant man who couldn't take that step of faith for so long because God showed up over and over again in his life. At the end of his life, he would tell you that placing his faith in Jesus Christ was the most logical decision he ever ended up making. So it kind of comes full circle. So there, there is that point where you're that tiny dot in that circle and you there's a step of faith to, mm-hmm. to get started in that relationship. But what you're going to find is the more you walk with Jesus, the more you find out about him, he shows up yeah. and he does what only he can do. He he is who he says he is and he does what he says he's going to do. And it, it doesn't always show up in our timing <laughs> or the way we want it. <laughs> right? It doesn't show up in the way we want. And sometimes it shows up in like a great thing that doesn't make any logical sense either, yeah. you know, but God always shows up and and so the reality is he's the most placing your faith in him is the most logical thing you'll ever do in your life Hmm. it's beautiful
if you can tell me a story of where you've seen God. I mean, I think every story of Destiny Rescue that you've been a part of, you see God show up. Sure. Can you tell me one that kind of comes to mind first whenever you think about how God shows up for someone? Yeah. I, you know, I got to spend three weeks in Africa last summer. And while we were there, we took our video team into this little village to capture one of the girl's stories and went into her little, you know, you imagine this little concrete hut, thatched roof, concrete floor, hmm. and this little rollout mat that these two 16-year-old girls slept on. And they each had two changes of clothes, and that was all they owned in the world. Hmm. And we, we went to capture their story because this girl, when she was 14 and a half, uh, she was kicked out of her house. Her mom got remarried and the new stepdad didn't want kids and said she's old enough to take care of herself. So she got kicked out of the house, moved to this village and rented this little hut with another 16 year old girl who had a similar story. And as we sat there and listened to her story and found out that for a year and a half, Patrick, <laughs> every day this girl and this other girl had to walk down to a well-known street corner and they had to hope that some local, we'll just use nicer word, guy mm -hmm. <laughs> would pick them up and abuse them so they could get a dollar fifty or two dollars to eat that day. Oh. And that happened day after day after day after day. And once our agents became aware that this girl was selling herself and were able to step into that immediately, just by getting her started on our food program, she never had to make that walk again. Just by providing and something you and I take for granted, just by giving her enough food, she never had to make that walk again. Mm -hmm. And then she went into our, our hair salon training program and you could just see. As, as she continued to talk, you saw the heaviness on her face from the hard part, give way to this new twinkle of hope hmm. in her eyes as she started talking about her training classes and what she was learning and how excited she was to open a salon with her friend. In fact, we got done with the interview. The last thing she said was, thank you, thank you, thank you. I've run out of words. Oh. <laughs> and to be able to be a part of that where you see, I mean, you, know, you and I both have friends that, you know, whether that's a, a victim of rape or wh whatever that is, that happened one time and how much that's devastated their lives. And here's a girl who has had that happen to her day after day after day for a year and a half. And for her to be able to find hope again and to have her story redeemed and to live out her God preferred future, like that's just God showing off right yeah, there. Yeah, it is. Yeah, it is. That is a great segue into the next question, which is, what would you say to somebody who's wrestling with faith, who's wrestling with whether or not to take the leap? I, the author, Lee Strobel, in The Case for Christ, says that whether you're going to believe in Jesus and, and in God or not, either way, you're taking a leap of faith. Either way, you're trusting that, you, that your faith is, is placed somewhere. So what would you say to somebody who is questioning whether or not to take that step, take that leap? Yeah, that's a that's a great question. And you're right. I mean, everybody puts their faith in something. Mm -hmm. um, a lot of people put their faith in themselves. And 
I don't know if you're out there and that's where you're at and you're anything like me, man, I am one broken, <laughs> messed up dude. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, there's plenty of things that God's given me the ability to do, but there are so many things I fall short in. Mm-hmm. So the idea of ultimately deciding to place trust in myself, like, boy, that's just a, that's a dead end or a cliff, whatever, yeah. whichever <laughs> one you, you want to call that. But man, like I said, Je- Jesus shows up and, you know, scripture tells us, um, taste and see that the Lord is good. Hmm. And sometimes you just got to come to the table and you, you just got to try it out. Yeah. Like be, get around people who love Jesus authentically, um, get, get into his word and again, learn about who he really is, not what the world is telling you he is, but learn who he is through his word and, hmm. and just start taking baby steps. And I mean, you know, the reality is, you know, the, remember someone talking about that years ago, like, what if you get to the end of your life and, and you find out you were wrong? You know, like if, if for those of us who believe in Jesus, what if you got to the end of your life and, and found out you were wrong? But I'm like, man, for those of you who don't believe in Jesus, what if you get to the end of your life and find out you were wrong? Yeah. And there's eternity on the line. I mean, scripture tells us. That, you know, that those we, we have a choice to make and God honors that choice. Mm-hmm. And if you if you choose not to follow him and for him to be a part of your life here on this earth, then that gets extended to eternity. Because, yeah. I mean, that's what hell is. Ultimately, it's yep. the lack of the presence of God. Yeah. And, and and it's not like God sends people there out of vindictiveness. He's honoring your choice. You're, you made a choice on whether or not you want him in your life. <laughs> And if we choose to say no in this life, then that gets reflected in eternity. Hmm. That's powerful. While you were talking, I was reminded of in the movie, The Golden Child with Eddie Murphy. Oftentimes I get visions of movie scenes and things like that yeah. that happen. Yeah, me too. And and what's interesting is that I don't know if you've ever seen that movie, but but when he's talking to this woman who was raped by a dragon and she becomes half dragon, half woman um she says you know the prophecy is that the world will become hell and eddie murphy says you know we're not far from that now (laughs) and when you said you know the hell is really the absence of the presence of god and the more we push out god out of our society and out of our out of everything that we do and our choices and instead we make ourselves god the closer we get to and that's like all of that happened just now while you were talking and that <laughs> like uh, we aren't far from that now like you yeah. know we're getting more and more along that path of how who are we going to who are we going to elevate to to the top and and you know we're being told by culture that 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 who we should elevate is ourselves that yeah. that, that you can't go wrong if you're serving yourself well and you think about the topic we're talking about with trafficking I yeah. mean, how much more is that the epitome of that the, the ultimate pinnacle of people serving themselves and their own desires than seeing kids who are being sold for their bodies for pleasure for people. Yeah. Yeah. Destiny Rescue has been around since 2015, you said? Or 2015 Destiny was Rescue, when they came in? Tony first started doing rescue work in 2001. Okay. And last year was the highest number of rescues they've ever had. Last year was an awesome year. Yeah. Tell me how many that was last year. Uh, We ended up with 3,144 rescues last year. That is incredible. That's almost 10 a day. Yeah. I got the report for, I believe it was uh, the report ending July 14th was the most recent one I got. 
and we were over 1,700 rescues this year. We were the the week that I got the report. We were 168 rescues ahead of where we were the same week last year. Wow, that's God moving. I mean, yeah. that's that's God moving in the lives of thousands of kids. That's yeah. God moving. Without God moving, they have no hope. You know, you talked about the glimmer of hope in that young girl's eyes. And then without Destiny Rescue, without God moving through Destiny Rescue, there isn't that glimmer of hope doesn't exist. And wow. Tell us a little bit about the day-to-day operations of Destiny Rescue. How do they go about finding, rescuing, and then what happens after the rescue, kind of after the girl is removed from that situation. Sure. You mentioned with the, the girl in Africa that there's there's a food program and then an education program as well. So would you mm-hmm. tell us a little bit about how that all works? Yeah, sure. So we're, we're in 16 countries right now. Three of those are funding nations. So the US, Australia, and New Zealand are funding nations. So that is raise awareness, raise the funds, and raise talent to serve in rescue nations. So then we have 13 countries that we are doing rescue operations in. So you have to have what's called an MOU. It's a memorandum of understanding. It's a legal document between you and each country. And that looks different for each country that gives you permission to do that undercover investigative work, because that also involves our guys wearing hidden body cameras on them. And sometimes it involves getting involved with uh, things on uh, in the cyber world as yeah, well, yeah. where you're posing as a young girl to try to draw out, you know, people. Uh, so you have to have that MOU that spells out what we can do as far as the undercover work. It also spells out what the aftercare looks like. Okay. So because we are holistic, we're most known for rescue because we do more rescue than any organization in the world, Hmm. but it's got to be holistic. It doesn't do us any good to set kids free if we can't keep them free. Right. So you have to have that trauma. You can imagine the aftercare component of that and the trauma that these girls have gone through, but you also have to have the job training component to set them up for long-term success and safety. Hmm. So we're, we're involved with all of that kind of stuff. So we partner with a number of different ministries and organizations and different countries. Some countries after we've rescued the girls, uh, like the, the Philippines is a country we can talk about, uh, they have a, a really strong aftercare program. So we, we work with local authority to do the raids and rescue kids, but then they go into government care. Mm-hmm. Other countries, Cambodia, Thailand, um, they don't have those kinds of resources as much. So we actually have some like prevention homes, residential homes. Girls can come into our care. We can do full-blown discipleship programs with them. There's not a whole lot of limitations on mm-hmm. a lot of that kind of stuff. So every girl's freedom path is going to look different. And the aftercare is going to look different based on what we have permission to do yeah. in each of those countries. But as far as how we rescue... I think last I heard we were up, we've got like 14 categories of rescue, <laughs> but I'll, I'll, I'll tell you about the biggest four real quick. Okay. okay? So uh, border stations is one of those. Nepal is one of the countries we work in. We have over 30 border stations there. Uh, one of the neighboring countries there is one of the worst countries on the planet with trafficking. So traffickers are coming from that country into Nepal promising great paying jobs or they've met the girls on social media and they're playing this ruse that they've fallen in love with the girl mm. and they want her to come to their country where they're going to marry her and give her the life of her dreams. Mm. And at the border station, the traffickers aren't traveling with our girls because they know our agents are there. Yeah. So they say, Hey, we're going to meet up with you in whatever city. Our agents, which are almost all at the border stations, almost all of our agents are native females and they have permission. There's armed guards behind them. 
they have permission to stop anyone that looks like a minor and ask them questions. Mm -hmm. So they ask them, where are you going? What are you doing? Where you promise this? Where you promise that? Any red flags go up, they can call back to the families. A huge portion of the time, the family has no idea they're at that border station. And Mm -hmm. if that girl takes one step across the border into this other country, she will never be seen again Mm -hmm. by her family. So the good part of that is that those are preemptive rescues. We're interrupting the traffic flow. We know what was going to happen to that girl if she made it past that border station. But those are the best kinds of rescues yeah. when we're preventing the abuse. So that that historically had probably been about a quarter of our rescues. Okay. Uh, about a quarter of our rescues had been uh, covert rescues. So I'm on our U.S. team, but when I travel internationally, I get to go out undercover with our guys. Uh, we're, we're the only large-scale organization that like focuses on children uh, as far as with the trafficking. And then we're one of the only ones that actually has our own undercover agents. So we have 35 to 40 full-time undercover agents at any given point. So they're constantly on the lookout for that. So when I travel, I get to go out undercover with our guys. So when we're doing covert rescues, we're going into places that we've identified underage girls and we're going in pretending to be customers out for a good night on the town. Mm -hmm. Patrick, one of the creepiest, like the first time I can still, you always remember the first time you go out. I Yeah. And how creepy that felt to go into a place and I'm supposed to act like some guy out that's wanting to party the night away Mm. and be around these young girls. And we're going into places. We're sitting down. You order a drink. The girls gather around your table. Um, They don't have hello, my name is tags on. Nobody cares what their name is. Mm. Uh, In fact, many places you go into, they literally have numbers pinned on them. That's how they get ordered for the night. And we get the youngest looking girls to sit with us. And then we go into intel gathering mode, trying to get their names, contact information, verify their age. And the hope is after a couple of nights, you build enough trust that we pay the bar fine. Because if you're the bar owner, I got to compensate you for taking a girl away who would be selling drinks, and making you money. So maybe I pay you 50 bucks and then I negotiate a price with a girl, which we know where that money's ultimately going. Mm-hmm. And I take her wherever I want and do whatever I want all night long with her. And then she's back at work the next night and it starts all over again for her. Night after night after night after night after night. So our goal is to build that trust. We pay the bar fine and then we take them somewhere safe where we're able to say, hey, this is who we really are. Mm-hmm. This is how we can help you get out of that. And then they can choose to come into our care at that point. Um, so that had been about a quarter of the rescues. And then uh, an, almost half of our rescues are through raids. So that's where you get that MOU in place mm-hmm. that allows the hidden body cameras So now we're working with local law enforcement. We can go into a place. Not only are we gathering evidence about girls being trafficked, but we're also gathering evidence against the traffickers and against the business. So now when we get the green light from local authorities, we go in, we do a joint raid. We rescue the girls, arrest the traffickers, shut down the business, and then we're able to turn around and prosecute those traffickers in a court of law. Wow. And in a place like the Philippines, if you're caught trafficking two minors, it's a 30-year sentence and 30 years for each additional minor. So we were part of arresting a couple a few years back that had 10 minors. So they each got 270-year sentences. Good. But we have done hundreds and hundreds of rescues there and and, and, uh, arrested hundreds and hundreds of traffickers. We have a 100% conviction rate in the Philippines courts with traffickers. Every single one of them is serving time. That's fantastic. Are there areas where local authorities are not cooperative because they're in on it or? Yeah, especially when we first got started. I've heard stories from Tony about where they would go in and do a raid and the young girls were gone. Then you find out that the mama son or the bar owner 
was like the the wife of the the town police chief. Oh my! <laughs> Just, you know, we, we had that early on. You don't see a ton of that now. I mean, sometimes there's raids go sideways, maybe, but it's more because the trafficker gets spooked. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. But it's not because of a leak in intel as much because we've built those trust levels over the years with those government organizations, and our team's good enough now that they. They can pretty quickly sniff out who's legit and who's not with that. Sure. I mean, you're you're putting your lives in. I mean, guys, this is the fastest growing criminal activity in the world. Yep. It makes more money than illegal drugs and firearms. So you think about that. If you if you interrupt somebody's drug traffic ring, like what's going to they're going to come after you yep. with deadly force if need be. And it's the same thing here. We've had undercover agents that have been shot at. One's been stabbed. Like you're you're messing with somebody's serious money line mm-hmm. and they're going to come after you for that. Yeah. So, you know, our guys are putting their lives literally in the hands of, you know, these law enforcement agencies that we're partnering with. So there's got to be obviously a high yeah. degree of trust. Yeah. So. The first time I heard you speak, I, th- I think I remember this, that you put it in terms of how much revenue the NFL generates versus how much revenue sex trafficking generates. Would you mind sharing, if you remember that statistic yeah. off the top yeah, of your sure. head, would you mind sharing that? Yeah. So the NFL is by far our most profitable sport and makes a profit of about $8 billion a year. Baseball, basketball, hockey, football combined make about $30 billion a year. Human trafficking makes over $150 billion a year. Wow. And we estimate about $99 billion of that is specific to sex trafficking. And as you can imagine, you know, they estimate 97 to 99% of victims of sex trafficking are females. Now, yeah. there are males that get that. And we, we rescue males. Probably about 3% of our rescues each year end up being males. Yeah. But our aftercare is designed for girls. Mm-hmm. But we have ministry partners that specialize in aftercare for boys. So we, we might be part of the rescue, and then we hand them off for that aftercare component. For everyone listening, would you mind sharing roughly what it costs to rescue you know one individual girl how much sure. does it cost for yeah so we've rescue? been doing this for a while so we're pr- pretty good at being able to track all of that so on, on average you know some of these things you know you you can get into some of these undercover operations that you know they might be nine months in the making so mm-hmm. your expense there is huge and there's other times where we go into place and the same night we're getting those girls out of <laughs> so it, it it varies widely the financial investment in each of these but on average, it comes out to about $1,500. So that's the average cost to do the investigative work, locate these girls, get our guys in there to do, gather whatever intel they need to be able to, to get her out and get her to a safe place to start that freedom path. So for $1,500, we can literally save someone's life and give them a new path. For 1500 towards rescue, we know a child will be rescued and their life will be forever changed. And we, and we do all of that in terms of children rescued. So let's mm-hmm. say you have a bar and you have 10 females and I believe that you have two minors. So I send the guys in, they gather evidence against you, do the raid, get the 10 girls out. We're going to divide our raid cost by the number of children that were rescued. So we're not dividing it by 10. We're dividing it by two. Okay. So that we can say with integrity that we know $1,500 will rescue a child. Depending on how those funds get used, there's a good chance that multiple people are going to get rescued for that amount of money. Wow. But we know a child will be rescued for that amount of money. Awesome. I am linking to the funding page for for Destiny Rescue, the donation page for Destiny Rescue in our show notes. Please 
if what you're when you hear Chris talk, if you feel like, you know, I want to contribute, I can't contribute fifteen hundred dollars, but I can contribute something, please. We would love to have you help. Um, this is, you know, not the primary purpose for me having Chris on the podcast, but it's definitely something that if you're looking for a way to deploy funds to help spread the word of God and show the miracle of God to someone, this is a great way. And it's truly this makes a difference in lives of people. And, you know, I, I think about some of the dumbest. I, I was just telling someone the other day, you know, the amount of times I've been in Target or another store and been like, ah, it's only five bucks. I'll grab that has probably cost me ten thousand dollars in my life <laughs> with that. I could have saved several people, several young girls lives yeah. and given them a new path with the amount of times I've looked at something and gone. Ah, it's only five bucks. I'll grab that. So. Be thoughtful, be mindful about how you deploy your funds. That's one of the things that coming to faith has definitely taught me is is to be mindful with how I deploy my funds in everything, not just at Target, but everywhere I go and every dime I spend, you know, is it something that's providing, honoring God and, and all of that. And so. And just real quick while you're talking about that, because that, that Rescue a Child is one of our main programs at 1500. And we get a lot of groups that go after that. We do have individuals that do that. The other main one is the Rescue Partner, which people will see if they go on the website. That's yep. any monthly amount. So if people yep. want to do something, if it's five bucks a month or it's a hundred bucks a month, like they can sign up as a, as a rescue partner and they know that every month they are giving towards more yeah. kids. That's when, when we became rescue partners, Destiny Rescue mailed us a, a bracelet bracelets that Patrick's talking about. Uh, every one of those was made by one of our girls that was rescued. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's, it's a conversation starter for sure. And it's, you know, cause I'm, I'm a male. You don't often see men wearing a bunch of bracelets. And so when people ask me about the bracelets that I wear, I'm, I'm, I share the story of this and I'm always sharing it to, to get people to look into destiny rescue, look at the YouTube videos, just look destiny, just type in destiny rescue in YouTube and the videos you see will shock you. They will make you emotional. I showed them to a, a 70 year old man just randomly who was like, you know, is this, it's not really an issue. Right. And I was like, Hey, let me show you something. Uh, just a guy I was having a random conversation with here. We are sitting watching this on our phone, on my phone. And, and he gets really emotional couldn't talk for the first 30 or 45 seconds after it was over and and he said you know i had no idea that this was going on hmm. i had no idea that you know i see celebrities talking about it but i thought it was just another celebrity thing he's like i had no idea that this is like an everyday thing and so again this is this is why i wanted to have you on the show i want everyone to hear your story of faith, your story of, of serving in this way, but also to hear that it's real, that this is something that it, that is, it's plaguing our world, that, that people elevate their pleasure above someone else's life. Yeah. I have one more question that I want to ask that isn't Destiny Rescue related. We're going to do the, the lightning round as well. Okay. Um, <laughs> and, and so the, the, but the last thing I want to ask is, what's a piece of advice you would give to a new believer, to somebody who's new? When I first started the idea of this, the podcast came to me when I was really young in my faith. And so I was like, I'm going to ask every guest what they would tell me as a new believer. I'm four years in. So I'm basically like a toddler now who knows just enough to get in trouble. And so what's a piece of advice with, with 23 <laughs> years of, of ministry experience and a, and a lifetime of faith. What's a piece of advice you would give to a new believer? 
You know, I, going back to what we talked about earlier, Patrick, that in Hebrews where it talks about that cloud of witnesses, mm-hmm. like I think one of the most important things for new believers to do is surround themselves with people who are chasing hard after God. Mm-hmm. And again, it's not because they're perfect, because they'll be the first ones, if they're authentic, <laughs> the first ones <laughs> to, to tell you that they're not. But, you know, we can we can read scripture. We can learn a ton by by reading scripture and, and praying but there's a lot of times, especially early on in our walk with God, where we need Jesus with skin on. And and that's what his people are supposed to be. We're supposed mm-hmm. to be that living, fleshed out example of who he is. And that's one of the best ways for people to really grasp who yeah. Jesus is, is by being around his kids and seeing that belief and that knowledge lived out on a daily basis. So find people who are who are genuinely running hard after God Mm. and let them speak into your life, watch their example, emulate their example. And that's going to take you a a long way down the road to an authentic faith walk. Yeah. Thank you. I can be a living testimony to what you just said that in my four years of faith, every time I've been challenged, every time something's happened that challenges my faith, that makes me go, is all this bunk? When I commit to being around the cloud of witnesses, yeah. immediately his 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 presence makes itself known. You know, immediately. Well, and it grows our faith. Like the story I was telling about my dad and my grandpa yeah. earlier. I mean, when my a big part of my grandpa finally getting to a place of saying yes was looking at the life of my dad, his mm-hmm. son. And seeing how passionate he was and how how consistent he was in living out his faith. That that played a huge role hmm. in his making that decision. That's excellent advice, and thank you for that. I I absolutely love it. That wraps up the interview portion. We're gonna do the lightning round. Um, and so for a refresher for all of the new listeners, this is a round of questions that I ask where we don't ask any explanation. The, the, the guest is allowed to, to answer for us and, and doesn't have to explain themselves at all. And so it makes it really easy. So, um, so with that, we'll get started. Uh, the floor doesn't open up if I take too long to answer. No, not at all. And I'll, we'll cut out the breaks so that it, it really feels like a lightning round. <laughs> What's okay. your favorite verse of the Bible? Uh, you know, that's an interesting one because for me, that's always changing. Yeah. Like yeah. for me, it's like, what, what is really breathing life into me right now? Okay. So there's a, actually the well, well, well-known book in the old Testament. I say tongue in cheek of Haggai. <laughs> <laughs> Most people haven't read that one there, but, and this is, this is said several times in that, but you know, the people were. They, they were they were supposed to be following God's commands to rebuild. Mm-hmm. But instead of rebuilding what God told them to rebuild, they were working on their own houses. And it's just the, this epitome of how we do that. I mean, in our daily lives, we get caught up in this all the time of going after our own agenda and our and our own wants. And several times it says, give careful thought to your ways. Mm. And it, that, that's been the verse several, it's repeated several times in there that has really been challenging to me is that like, it's so easy to just go with the flow in our culture. Yeah. But how often do any of us take the time to sit down to evaluate our, our wallets and our calendars, mm. where we put our money, where we give our time? 
because those are a deep reflection of where our hearts really are at and how, how often do we stop and really give careful thought to our ways. Mm. So that, that's the one that, not exactly a lightning round answer there. No, that's, that was that's a, all right. That was a long we'll, one. we'll get better as we go. It's all right. It's no problem. Uh, what's your favorite book of the Bible? James. Okay. Your favorite movie? Oh, uh, I, I like a lot of the ones that are like the, the trilogies and stuff. So like your Lord of the Rings, Hunger Games, those kinds. Okay. I really enjoy. All right. If you could have dinner with anyone, alive or dead, who would you choose? Mother Teresa. Wow. Okay. What do you hope God says to you when you meet him? I hope he says, Chris, your love for me was huge. <laughs> What's your favorite word? Relentless. What's your least favorite word? Can't. Cool. What noise or sound do you love? Uh, I love the NFL theme song when it means football season is back. <laughs> what noise or sound do you hate? A dog licking himself. <laughs> My wife's going to be on board with that one. <laughs> All right. And then the last question for this is if you weren't serving with Destiny Rescue and, and serving, what would you most like to do? If I could wave a magic wand and make you anything in the world, what would you most like to do? Um, probably be an Olympian. I don't even know what sport. I just think being <laughs> like every time the Olympics come around, I think how awesome would that be to be an Olympic athlete? That's awesome. Chris, thank you for coming on. Thank you for spending the time with us. The last thing I'm going to ask of you, I ask this of every guest yeah. is if you'd pray for us and our listeners. Yeah. would love to do that. Awesome. All right. God, thank you so much uh, for the time that we just had together mm-hmm to be able to, to think about you, to ask questions about you, to grow closer to you, uh, to encourage new believers and how they can seek after you and, and be authentic in that pursuit of you. And so I pray for us, I pray for all of our listeners that this time would be um, a reflection of, of their hearts of wanting to grow closer to you, mm-hmm. wanting to learn more about you. Yeah. You know, we get to learn about each other. We get to, we get to have fun with that. But the reality is we're all on the same page. We are all broken, messed up people desperately in need of a savior. Mm-hmm. And I thank you that you loved us enough. And, you know, we talk about rescue, but the reality is each of us who's placed our faith in you has a rescue story. And that's worth celebrating. And there are people that maybe are listening that haven't taken that step of faith yet. And their rescue story is about to be launched because mm-hmm. they're getting close. And I just pray, God, that you would help them. You know, th- that illustration we did with the circle and the dot help people to get to the place where they're OK with not being able to understand everything because they're never going to be able to do that. So help them to take that step of the faith to to trust in you and to walk with you, to be surrounded by that cloud of witnesses of people who are genuinely following after you, God, mm-hmm. and that they would just take the next step towards you. Mm-hmm. And they're going to see as they walk that out that you just continue to show up and you are who you say you are. You do what you say you're going to do. And I'm excited for what, what's coming next for some of our listeners and their faith journey and their walk with you. So God, just help us to be people of integrity, people who walk with you, people who pursue things that matter deeply to your heart, whether that's a deeper involvement with something like a destiny rescue, or maybe it's something else that you've called people to. But I just pray that as we seek after you, as we learn about the things that matter and are the most near and dear to your heart, that those same things become the things that matter the most and are the nearest and dearest to our hearts as well. 
In Jesus' name we pray. In Jesus' Amen. name. Amen. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. Thanks again for making our show a part of your day today. If you're a regular listener, you know that I am studying to become ordained as a pastor. I am serving as a ministry resident at our church. I am a husband and father of four. Recording, producing, editing, hosting, and releasing this podcast does come with a cost. If you enjoy the show, and if you feel so moved by the Lord, would you consider joining our Patreon family and financially supporting Walking with Jesus? We want to continue bringing you as many stories as we can record of God's glory and how He is working in me and so many others. Thank you, and I pray the Lord would bless you all.